verse number 58. If you're there, say amen. If you're glad you're saved, say glory. If you're glad Jesus is coming again, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray to heavenly Father, we thank you. Again, for this morning, we do thank you for the blood. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us on the cross of Calvary. Place on the mercy seat of God and cries out redeemed and forgiven. We're so thankful, Lord, that you were willing to die for people like us. So undeserving, so, or we're so unwilling, or we're so corrupted this morning, and yet you shed your precious blood for us. And Lord, it wasn't just that one-time act, but Lord, you've been faithful. You've been faithful to us every day of our life. Lord, I sure am grateful, Lord, for how you love me and how you take care of me, how you use our church and those that are in our church this morning. We ask you this morning that you take the word of God, would you make it personal to us? Make it real to us, Lord. Make it hop off the page into our hearts this morning. Lord, help it to settle deep down into us this morning, Lord, this need and this desire and this goal and this vision that we have. Lord, we love you this morning, Lord. There's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray, Lord, today you'd work in their heart, draw them to salvation, save them by your grace, change their life and change their eternity. Lord, just like you did for me and countless others that are in here this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We're going to give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you. Again, for standing, and thank you again for joining us. If you're a guest here, we're sure glad to have you. And if you're a member here as well, we're glad to have you. Uh, do pray, continue to pray. The Lord continue to work and move. But we come here to verse chapter 50, or verse 15, verse 58 of chapter number 15 this morning of 1 Corinthians. And we, we hit this verse a few nights ago as we were talking about the second coming of Christ. But I notice here that in verse 58, there is a specific group of people that Paul is talking to. He is not talking just to anybody, though anybody could hear the message. And he was specifically zoning in. He said, my beloved brethren. Now, you study the book of First and Second Corinthians, everything Paul has said to them has not been lovey-dovey. It has not been easy pills to swallow. It has not been easy preaching. It has not been sugar sticks and candy canes and all that wonderful stuff. Paul has at some points almost raked them over the fire. Why? It's what they needed in the moment. And though I would wish I could say this morning that, that there has been times in my life that I've never struggled and I've never had to deal with anything. There's been some times where God has taken his word and put it deep down into my heart and in essence, it broke my heart. It broke me. It, it, it brought me to that place of repentance and I did not like it in the moment, but I'm sure glad that he did it. But then he says, hey, my beloved brethren, those that I love dearly, those that I've invested in, I, I've told you this great truth that the Lord is returning. Then he says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You could ask it this way, say, what kind of work are you doing 
for the Lord. And now before you get ahead of me this morning, my heart's desire is not for you to say, I am going to do more for the Lord. And that says, I'm going to take on more and more and more and more and more, but rather that which I do for the Lord this year, I will abound in. I will give it everything that I have. But this morning as we get into this, I want to, by way of introduction, there's, there's different kinds of work in your Bible. Now the word may be the same, but normally there is a preposition that follows after that kind of gives an understanding to what the work is. First of all, there is the work in. We find this in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. We're talking about salvation. That is God doing a work in you. How many can go back to the time and go back to the place where the Lord saved you? He did that eternal work deep down in your heart. He saved your soul. He changed your life. He did a great work in you. And he's promised to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In essence, once you got it, you always got it. It's not going anywhere. You can't lose it. You didn't earn it. You couldn't even find it by yourself. But Jesus, being willing and being gracious, brought it to where you were. And he did a great work in your heart, in your life. Not only is there work in, but there's also a work out. Now, I know that phrase, working out, is pretty much a cuss word in any Baptist church. I ain't working out for nothing, preacher. But notice here in Philippians 2, 12, the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And oftentimes, I've mentioned this before, you hear that verse and the preacher preaches, you better make sure that you are saved. And can I say this morning, you need to make sure that you are saved, but do not base it off a of feeling, do not base it off an experience, do not base it off of what everybody else says, but base it off what the word of God says. Anytime I have the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ, I show them the scriptures where it says believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and to confess with your mouth thou shalt be saved and I'll ask them I said what is the Bible saying that you are if you do that and they'll say saved I said I'm not telling you that your mom and daddy is not telling you that the Sunday school teacher is not telling you that the deacon's not telling you that it is the word of God telling you that and we're going to see this morning, there was a work in, but also there's a work out. And when Paul was telling those Philippian believers to work out their own salvation, it is the Greek word katagazomai. And it means to work out, in essence, to draw out that which is within. It gives us the picture of a miner going down into a mine and extracting all of the gold and all of the precious metals that he can get his hands on. I don't know about you this morning. I, I have yet to realize how deep the mine and the well of my salvation goes. I have yet to realize how great his grace really is and how merciful his mercy really is. But as I go into that well of my salvation, I'm pulling out handfuls and bucketfuls and I come to find out there's a whole lot more in there. Well, we'll spend the rest of our life, we ought to spend the rest of our lives realizing how great our salvation really is. That's that working out process. There's the working in. Then we come here to 1 Corinthians 58 and we see the work of. That word work means business. It means employment. It means occupation. That which we do for the Lord. We see there's an undertaking. That is our salvation. We see there's an understanding. That is our sanctification. And then we see a usage. And that is our service 
for the Lord. As we go into 2024, we're already a month into it, but God has put this word work in my heart. He has settled it deep down in there. And it's not me and you trying to prove to anybody else that we are saved by the grace of God. It is not me and you trying to earn our way into heaven this morning, but it is you and I making the most of what God has done for us. And that's going to require work. It's going to require effort. It's going to require time. It's going to require sacrifice. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know if I can do all of that. I don't know. If that's for me, preacher, can I say it's for every born again child of God. It is for every Christian to do the work that God has prepared and planned for each and every one of us. We know he has done a work in us. We know he has worked some things out for us. But are we going to do a work for the Lord? Notice not just sometimes. My heart's desire is, you know, Every Tuesday and Thursday of this brand new year, I'm going to do a work for God. But rather, I want the work that I do for the Lord to be described as it is in verse number 58 as abounding. In essence, it is far beyond just satisfactory. It is far beyond just the limit. But in essence, it is exceeding that and it is going to the utmost, my best at all times for the Lord. Not just sometimes, but an abounding work for the Lord. I want to give you three truths that must be understood in order for us to always abound in the work that we do for the Lord. God does not desire for you to abound every other week. God does not desire for you and I to abound when everything's just good and dandy. God desires and really has enabled you and I in giving us the power to which we can always abound in the work of of the Lord. That's what Paul said. He said, listen, Corinthians, I don't want you to get a little serious and, and, and fool around with it just a little bit. He said, I always want you to abound in the work of the Lord. I want you to notice number one this morning. Well, preacher, how do we do that? Notice one, we must realize it is a reasonable work. It is a reasonable work. You take your Bibles to Romans, just one book over, Romans chapter number 12, and you'll find yourself down there in verse number one. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable, we see in the book of Romans is the word Greek word logikos. It's where we get our word logical. It's where we get our word rational. In essence, we have sat down, we have thought about it, we have uh, uh, rationalized it, we've reasoned it, we said this is the right thing to do. It is the reasonable thing for every Christian to do. So the reality is the unreasonable people this morning are not those who are striving to do a work for the Lord, but rather those who are not. Those are the unreasonable people. You ever been around somebody who's unreasonable? <laughs> you can't reason with them. That's why you call them unreasonable. But we see here this morning that, that there, is, there is a reasonable thing for a Christian to do. It is to serve the Lord. Now, when me and Miss Becky got married, we did essential shopping. That was groceries, gas, things that we had to have. And then everything else was window shopping. That means we went to the store, we looked at stuff, we, 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 we thought about it, and we left it there. You know, what, you know what prompted a lot of the leaving there? It was when we looked at whatever it was, we, we took that price tag over and said, great day in the morning. They want that much for a shirt? They can keep it. Funny thing is, our kids have caught on to it. 
And we've had to have some, 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 some conferences with them. It is okay to window shop. It is not okay to verbalize it vocally for everybody in the store to hear. <laughs> we were somewhere and it was one of my, I can't remember which one it was, but we were looking at something. I mean, loud as could be, Daddy, do you realize they want this much money for that? Everybody in the store heard us. I was like, listen, we are window shoppers. Let's do it quietly. (laughs) But it is that price tag that causes that to be unreasonable. And I think sometimes in the Christian life, the price tag of work causes us to step back and say, that's unreasonable. That That is just too much. That is too far. The reality is this morning, working and doing what God has called us to do, that is our reasonable service. In essence, the price tag is not too high. The the command is not too much. The instruction is not overbearing. It is what God has called us to do. Now, we've given three reasons this morning about the, the truth about working for the Lord, this reasonable truth. Notice, first of all, when you and I do a work for God or we allow God to work in us or we do a work, in essence, enabled by God in serving him, it shows our appreciation of mercy. It shows our appreciation of mercy. Notice what it says, verse number 12 of Romans, uh, verse number one of Romans chapter number 12. He said that you present your bodies a, a, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service right before that, by the mercies of God. When you and I do a work for the Lord, or we, we put the effort in, we put the toil in, we put the labor in, we may not vocalize it with our mouth, but when we choose to serve God, we are in essence saying with our heart, Lord, I sure do appreciate your mercy. Why? We know outside of the mercy of God, we could not, nor would we ever serve him. We're unworthy. We're unable to. But because he saved us by grace, he extended mercy to us. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us and empowers us. When we step out and say, I'm going to do something for the glory of God, it is you and I looking at God and saying, Lord, I show him appreciative of your mercy. I'm going to uh, appreciate it. Uh, but through mercy, we can, and we, we can and we should, it shows our appreciation. Not only is it reasonable because of our appreciation of mercy, but it's reasonable because of our adherence to holiness. Look at verse number one again of Romans chapter 12. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy. <laughs> Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that's a, that's a word that you can't say in 2024. We're, we're, we're quickly headed to a, a, a culture and a society that when you say holy, they're going to say, that's hate speech. You can't, you can't preach that. Well, as long as I'm preaching the Bible, I'm going to preach it, amen? Because really, when you and I realize it is our reasonable service, it'll help you and I to adhere to holiness. Because we know the Bible says man cannot serve both God and mammon. We know that we cannot serve two masters. In essence, this morning, you cannot work for God in the same time trying to work for the devil. You can't have two bosses like that. You've got to pick one or the other. And here's the thing this morning. One thing we have to realize is that if I step away from working for God and start working towards the things of my flesh and my desires and worldly influence, I've got to realize that none of that over here is going to please him. Only that which I do by faith will please him. If you're going to do the work of the Lord, you're going to have to separate yourself unto the Lord. Can I say this morning as an independent, fundamental, premillennial, all that stuff, Baptist? We are good at telling everybody what we're against. 
against this and against that. We're separate from that. We're separated from those. We're separated from that. Man, can I say this one? I'm glad to be an independent Baptist, but I'm glad I'm not an isolationist Baptist. Well, I'm thankful there are some people that our church isn't the only one striving to serve God. We thank God for this morning, but we got to realize that when we, when we say, I'm going to do something for God, we have to separate ourselves not just from things, but unto the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? We see the appreciation of mercy. We see the adherence of holiness. Why is it reasonable? Because it's the application of our life. In the verse number one, he said, it is your reasonable service. He said, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Bible said, present yourself. In essence, it ought not to take God dragging you, forcing you, making you. In essence, you ought to show up and say, I am here. I'm present. I'm willing. I, I may not have the best ability. I may not have all the knowledge and the skills. I might mess it up 37 times in a row, but I'm here. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to present myself. And so it's real because it is the application of our service. But notice what the Bible calls it. It doesn't just call it a sacrifice, but calls us a living sacrifice. Do you realize this morning that you and I are the only sacrifices that can pull ourselves off the altar? When that lamb was taken and sacrificed unto the Lord, it was then sacrificed and it could not remove. Why? It had died. Its life had been taken as a sacrifice. But you and I this morning are living sacrifice. In essence this morning, it is going to be a choice that you and I make, not every now and again, but literally every day of our life. Lord, I am yours. I am a living sacrifice. <laughs> well, preacher, how, how in the world can I do that? What is, I remember growing up and we went to go eat dinner at my, I think it was my Uncle Clem and Aunt Lori. And they lived somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska on a farm. And we were there and I had two cousins, Josh and Jess and me and my brother. My sister hadn't been born yet. And we were out there playing on the farm, running through the fields. And it said it was about dinner time. My Aunt Lori comes walking into the front yard and she's got a hatchet in her hand. Wagner's are crazy. I don't know what this lady's fixing to do. I said, Aunt Lori, what, you, what are you about to do? She said, I'm about to go get dinner. I'm intrigued now. She walks over to the chicken coop. And she pulls out one of those chickens. I don't know what that chicken did. I don't know if he had a warrant out. I don't know, but she picked him. She took him over to a stump in the yard and laid him on that stump and took that hatchet and separated his head from his body. And all of a sudden, that body got up and started running around the field. I was done. <laughs> what demon-possessed chicken that is. <laughs> Eight-year-old me, my mind was completely blown. <laughs> That's not the kind of living sacrifice we're talking about. But preacher, how do I, as a living sacrifice, make sure I stay on the altar of service? The Bible says you must reckon yourself dead. You must mortify your members. You must be willing to say, Lord, I am dead to all that other stuff. And it's dead to me. I don't want to go back to that. Lord, I want to, serve, I want to do a work for you, Lord. And the Bible says you're going to have to do that every day. You're going to have to do that every, every day of your life because your flesh is, your spirit's willing. Amen. If we could serve God just in our spirit, boy, Christian life would be a whole lot easier. A lot of times we're fighting to get our flesh where it's supposed to be.
When we see here this morning, we see the application. Why, why is it our reason? Because it is the application of our life. It, we are to be a living sacrifice under the Lord. When, so when you and I begin to do and decide to do a work for the Lord, it is our reasonable work. If you know it's reasonable, will you abound in the work that the Lord has for you this year? I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. I'm going to give them everything I have. Notice, number one, it's a reasonable work. Then notice, number two, why should we have a desire to abound in the work? Because it's a real work. It's a real work. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Go all the way down to verse number 58. Notice the Bible said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the desire to do work. Always abounding in the dreams of doing work. Always abounding in the, the want to to do work. No, the Bible says always abounding in the work of the Lord. It doesn't say dreams or desires. It is an action of work. It literally means to labor or to toil. Here's the thing. You know where most projects die? In the action stage. <laughs> How many of you fellas got about 17 unfinished projects at the house? Something happened in the action stage where all of a sudden the action became not as important as it was or as fun as it was when you thought so, or you, when you began. But here's the thing. But it's almost, it must be a genuine work. There is no such thing as showing up in the Christian life and telling the Lord, I'm just here for a paycheck. I'm here to, I'm here to punch the clock, get my money, and go home. There's no such thing like that in the Christian life. That's not how we're called to serve. Colossians 3.23 tells us, it tells us very clearly that we are how we're to do it, heartily as unto the Lord. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. I, work, I look that word heartily up. It literally means the breath of life. In essence, it's not, I'm heartily, I'm happy. It literally means that it is so serious to me, it is as if it is what's causing me to breathe. I'm doing it with a, a desire that is, it's the very essence of why I'm here. Notice this this morning, it's a real work, but it must be a sincere work. Titus chapter 2, verse number 7 says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good work, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, only one, or only one sincere purpose, that is to please the Lord. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, can I say this one? I'm not going to come to you and ask you. Oh, could you please show me your paycheck this week? Let's make sure you're giving 10%. That's not my place. Because if God, if you can't give cheerfully back to God, you won't give cheerfully to the preacher either. <laughs> and if you're only doing it to get the preacher off your back, as soon as I'm gone, you're done. But we see here this morning when it comes to doing the work for the Lord, I, I'm not, I, I don't have time to go to everybody's house every day and say, you doing the work? You're doing the work that God has called you to do. Are you abounding in the work? But can I say the Holy Spirit does go home with you? My prayer is that he won't leave me alone. He won't leave you alone either until we're doing what he knows we ought to be doing and ought to be doing it sincerely. Our work should also be selfless. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. When I was working at Sonic, there was a man that worked in the kitchen and when I was looking, he made sure he did everything by the book. Everything by the book when I was looking. But I knew, I knew when he was fixing to do something wrong. Because he began to look at me like this. I'd say, Brandon, 
<laughs> Whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. How did you know? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I guess, lucky guess. <laughs> I said, no, you give yourself away every time. But here's the thing. You will not abound in the work of the Lord standing around waiting for applause or appreciation. <laughs> I, I do want to say this morning that when I stand back there, shake hands and talk to you as you're leaving, I am grateful for every time you tell me, preach that's a good sermon. It helped me. That blesses my heart. But can I say that's not what I'm here for? I'm not, I'm not here to, to, to necessarily have applause and preach. That's a wonderful message. I'm here to do the work that God has called me to do, to abound in it. And if I stood around and waited for everybody to say, tell me how good of a job I was doing, how good of a job you were doing, for applause and appreciation, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. How do you know that preacher? Because I would have quit in children's church. Because nobody ever comes to the children's church teacher and says, hey, I want to let you know that was a good sermon you preached today. You've you got to realize in children's church, you're preaching to a crowd who wants to get away from you. <laughs> who wants to go outside. But I'm thankful for it. That's where I learned to preach. <laughs> Preacher, you're so deep. I don't, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> I feel like I'm shallow sometimes. But I did find out if you put the cookies on the bottom shelf, everybody can get some, amen. But notice here this morning, the Bible, our work should be selfless. In essence, we're not doing it for applause or promotion. We're doing it because it's what we're supposed to do. Our work should be sincere. It should be selfless. Then Psalm 102, our work should be sweet. Our work should be sweet. Psalm 102, serve the Lord with bitterness. Serve the Lord with anger. <laughs> serve the Lord like you're mad at everybody you're looking at. How many met some people, that's how they serve the Lord? Oh, man, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> serve the Lord with gladness. Notice this, that's not a suggestion. It's a command, it's instruction. To serve the Lord with gladness. Serving the Lord should not make you hard, cold, and calloused. If that's what you become, something's off. Something's, something's gone awry. I love getting around older Christians, but I love getting around older pastors who still have the joy of the Lord in their heart, who are still glad to serve. I think of Brother Darrell Weaver. I don't know how old he is, but he's up there. And you, you, you call him or he calls you and Good afternoon, Brother Weaver, how are you? Well, praise God, I'm saved by the grace of God. He goes to preaching on the phone. What do you do? I listen. <laughs> but he's so excited about it. Now, I can't tell you how many times I said, when I'm that age, in essence, his ministry has not been a cakewalk. His ministry hasn't been just mountaintop experience. As a matter of fact, it's been in a lot of valleys, but you wouldn't have known it. Because he's got the joy of the Lord in him as he does the work that God is calling him to do. That word gladness means joy, it means mirth, it means pleasure. In essence, <laughs> you, ever, you ever try to get your kids to smile for a picture and it goes from normal to absurd quickly? It's not a... It's a I feel like that's how some Christians live. They are trying their best to fake being happy and they're only fooling themselves. Everybody says, that's so fake. I, we can tell that. You're like, you're in pain. But notice this, when, we, when I'm talking about doing a work for the Lord, it's a real work. I'm not going to sit back here. And, we got goals and desires and dreams, but there's going to have to be an action behind it. We can dream dreams all day long. We, we, we can have good intentions all day long, but there's going to be a rubber-to-the-road experience that's going to have to take place. And when it does, it ought to be sincere. It ought to be selfless. 
and it ought to be sweet this morning. If you're going to abound in the work of the Lord, your work must look like it's described. Let me ask you, does it? Does it? Did you get up this morning with joy in your heart? When you go about your, the Father's business tomorrow, will you do it sincerely? Well, I hope someone sees me. I hope somebody gives me a compliment. Well, you do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Then notice number three this morning, it is a rewarded work. It's a real work. It's a reasonable work. But it's also a rewarded work. Notice right there in verse number 58, not in vain. What? Your labor. The labor that you do for the Lord is not in vain. You ever done something in vain? I'm talking about gave it your best effort, gave everything you had, and it just crumbled. You know, and you couldn't figure out why. <laughs> they were playing golf with somebody. I won't tell you who it is. They're not here. But most of y'all know them. <laughs> but I remember we were playing golf one time, and this person had the longest setup process. Talking about it was, it wasn't just, all right, swing. It was, minute and 45 seconds of my life, I'll never get back. <laughs> but it was over and over, and finally they, they, they got there, and they swung, and the ball just directly to the right, shanked it. I thought, well, that was all in vain. <laughs> However, genuine service to the Lord is never, never in vain. Even when the outcome isn't what you expect it to be. Even when what you think is going to happen doesn't happen, it is never, never, never in vain. Never. How do you know that, preacher? Well, the smallest effort will be noticed. Mark chapter 9, verse number 41, Jesus is talking here and he's teaching. He says, For whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. That verse is so encouraging because it could have said, Only he that wins the entire world to Christ will not lose his reward. Only he that does something that has high numbers and is, is, is globally known will not lose his reward. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name, it does not mean you can just walk around with cups and say, in Jesus' name, <laughs> here's a cup of water. Amen. That's the case, I'm going to have a whole lot of rewards from Shiloh. Daddy, I need some water. I need some water, Daddy. But notice here, a cup of water, it's a small, a simple, rather it's insignificant task. I mean, except for who it was done for, the Lord. You realize this point, the smallest effort. Now, we ought not to stop there, but we, that ought to encourage us that the smallest effort that we give to the Lord, he's going to take notice of it. Not just take notice of it, he will not lose his reward. In essence, if nobody else sees it, guess who does? See, we often preach that on sin, don't we? If nobody sees you sin, guess who still sees you sin? God does. But notice this morning, if you serve God and nobody else sees it, guess who does? God does. We were getting things set up back there and uh, ran into about 19 speed bumps. 
getting stuff ready for t- today and all that kind of stuff. And, and we were trying to have it all done by Friday. And then the printer ran out of ink again twice in one week. <laughs> there were different colors, different things like that. Well, got it ordered, all that. And it had to come back in uh, Friday night. We brought it up here yesterday. Me and TR came up here. I said, well, I got to print off the rest of those booklets. I said, well, I'm doing that. I need you to go back there and put tablecloths on the table. I said, I want you to put in a pattern, black, uh, gray, black, gray, black, gray. I said, I-, I want you to do that for me. And he said, okay. And so I-, I was working on those booklets, getting some other things printed off, everything together. And I walked back, and I was fully expecting for him to be sitting over there playing. I was fully expecting for him to, <laughs> to be sitting there and everything just be tore up. But I walked back there, and he wasn't done, but he was halfway through the tables. And he said, Dad, I, is this what you wanted? Is this how you wanted it? I said, son, you did a wonderful job. That's exactly what I desired. You could see the smile come across his face. Some of you might, preacher, it's just tablecloths. It's just a small, insignificant thing, but can I say, when I see, saw him doing it, it pleased the Father. And when you and I, even though it may be something small and insignificant, when you and I do the work that God calls us to, no matter the size of it, and we participate in it and we are faithful to it, I guarantee you there's one person smiling. It's God the Father. You will not lose your reward. Not only that, but notice this. Uh, the smallest effort will be noticed. Nothing will be forgotten. Nothing will be forgotten. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10. The Bible tells us, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you showed toward his name in that you minister to the saints and do minister. Nothing will be forgotten. Hebrews chapter 8, 12 12 does tell us something God has forgotten. What, preacher? Your sin. It is cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Isn't it interesting this morning that when Satan comes to us to discourage us, he brings up things that God has already forgotten. And yet here is God saying, it would be unrighteous for me to not remember what you've done for me. Here's the amazing thing this morning. I can't tell you how many sermons I've preached pastor of South Haven Baptist Church. You can go on Sermon Audio and find it, probably. I can't remember what I preached from last week half the time. <laughs> Someone told me, preached that was a wonderful message. They described the message to me. I was like, did I preach that? <laughs> I don't remember saying none of that. <laughs> but here's the reality. Whatever we do for Christ, whatever we do for the Lord, none of it will be forgotten. I wonder if when we get to heaven, we stand before Christ, we'll be like, I totally forgot about that. I forgot that I did that for you. And Jesus said, I didn't. I haven't forgot a single thing that you've done for me. A few years ago, Brother John Dorsey was preaching down at Crossroads, and I was still working in the cabinet shop. At the time, I was was selling cutting boards on the side. Sold two of them. (laughs) But we were at revival, and the Lord moved. Brother Dorsey preached a wonderful thing. And I remember my wife telling me, she said, you ought to give Brother Dorsey a cutting board. Give it to them for our family. And so I had, a, you know, I had an extra one. 
My supply was still pretty high at the time. <laughs> so I, I brought it in, I sanded it down, oiled it up, and on the back of it I wrote, you know, from the Wagners, uh, keep serving the Lord or something along that, wrote a little note underneath it. So after service that Friday night, I went out in the car, I brought it in. I said, Brother Dorsey, I, I want you to have this. Now, I don't know about you, but someone you really don't know comes up to you with a cutting board. Well, here, I want you to have this. He was very polite about it. Thank you. This is nice. But I remember getting in the car thinking, might have been the devil too, like, well, that was the dumbest thing you could have done. You, what is he going to do with a cutting board? But when I gave it to him, he said, oh, brother, this is wonderful. This is nice. You made this? I don't know if he would lie to me or not, but it, it was like he, I felt like he truly appreciated it. And then never thought about it again. Years down the road, he was preaching back down there. I think it was since I've been pastor. I went down there for a meeting and, and I just shook his hand. Thank you, Brother Dorsey, for the message. I, I really enjoyed it. He, he looked at me. Brother Dorsey has a look. I think it strike fear in anybody. Then he said, you're that fellow that gave me that cutting board, didn't you? Yes, sir. He said, we still use that thing all the time. I'm surprised. I built it. <laughs> it didn't last that long. He said, my wife absolutely loves that thing. He said, we, we use it all the time. It got to remind me that there's a lot of things that when we get done for the Lord, we're going to do and we're going to step back and say, that was weird. Did it, did it make a difference? Did they even notice one day we'll probably get to heaven and the Lord's going to say, you probably forgot about this, but I remember what you did for me. It's a real work. It's a rewarded work. Nothing will be forgotten. Notice this, this morning, the rewards are worth it. The rewards are worth it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul was writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he said, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Notice one of the first rewards Paul gives us, a, a reward of surety. Paul was able to go to heaven saying, I have done the work that God put me here for. Let me ask this one. Could you say the same thing? Could we with assurance in our hearts say, I have done everything God wants me to do? We see here this morning that the reward is shorty. I've done. He said, I, I'm ready to go. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Then he goes, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. The reward of victory. No greater approval or appreciation could ever be experienced than for Jesus to come to you and to lay down or give you that cross of righteousness and to tell you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't think of better words to hear. I can't think of a life better lived than one that I know when I stand before Christ, I have abounded in the work, not sometimes, but always. And here's the thing this morning, my heart's desire is for you to say, you know what, this year, I'm willing to abound in the work for Christ, knowing it's going to require effort knowing it's going to require labor, and then to sit back and say, you know what? There is not a work, a work too hard, a labor too long 
that'll outweigh hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's a rewarded work. Are you going to abound in the work of the Lord this year because you know the rewards are worth it? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're coming for a time of invitation.